Hey everyone, this is Brian from the Tennis IQ Podcast. Josh and I hope that you're enjoying the content and discussions that we put out week after week. If you'd like to support the podcast and help us to continue to produce quality episodes, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash podcast slash membership. Currently, we have two tiers of support, $3 per month and $7 per month. So again, our Patreon page is patreon.com slash podcast slash membership. Thank you so much. And now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to the Tennis IQ Podcast. I'm Brian Lomax. And I'm Josh Berger. In today's episode, we're going to be discussing some of the differences between practice and competition, between practice and matches, um, and you know why why um, matches often feel more difficult, more challenging than practice. One of the one of the main reasons why people will often reach out to to somebody like me or Brian or another sports psychology professional is that they aren't necessarily performing as well during matches, during competition, as they do during practice. And I, I hear this all the time when, when people reach out and Brian, I'm sure, sure that the, the same is true for you. And I think, I think that's the case for a number of different reasons, a number of reasons that we'll break down today um, in, in terms of how we frame competition, um, in terms of what some of the consequences around competition and matches are, in terms of um, results and how how we think about results and maybe how some of the people around us think about them as well. Um, so, so that will be a big piece of the conversation. And then we'll also talk about the benefits of playing more match play. And this is um, a topic that I know we've discussed in the past in this podcast, but we'll discuss why, um, what, you know, what, why tennis players should strive to, to play more matches and really practice that skill of competing as much as they can. Yeah, and I also took a, a slightly different viewpoint on the topic, Josh. So I, I almost looked at it as um, level of effort that goes into practice versus competition. Um, and I want, I, you know, I'd like us to look at that as well in terms of um, why do people sort of naturally try harder in matches uh, than they do in practice? Because that's a fairly standard question on mental profile assessments is, you know, sort of, you know, what's the level of effort in practice, level of effort in matches? Do you treat practice the same way that you treat matches? And more often than not, people are kind of average in this area. They, they will you know, indicate that they try harder in matches than they do in practice. And I think that there's also an opportunity there whether it's building in more matches, which um, depending on where you live, if you live in a, you know, during the winter, a climate in which you're forced to more or less play indoors, it can be hard to play matches as opposed to, say, someone who lives in Florida where there, is many, there are many courts outside and um, it's easy to put two people out there. Um, the facilities in indoor climates tend to be more limited in their court time and the number of courts they have, and so you're, you're generally restricted to playing with four people or more on the court and you can only get in some, some point play. Um, and so I think, you know, there, there are a number of angles we can take here with respect to, uh, to practice in competition. So much as you just said, Josh, and 
um, how we can try to factor in more practice matches into what we do or even pressure training. But I think we also want to touch on um, why we should bring more energy and effort to practice so that competition is better, the performance there. Absolutely. I think that's a really, really key point. I mean, there's that old saying that practice makes perfect. And then I think at a certain point that was updated or, um, you know, revised by, by, by certain people or coaches or, or whoever that, that it's actually perfect practice that makes perfect, not just practice itself. And when we think about the conditions that we need to have that perfect practice or a, a better practice, um, I think, yeah, that that effort level, that energy, that sort of desire to win and and be at our best, um, which exists, which tends to exist a lot more during during matches, um, needs to be there in order to to really try to create those conditions, at least as close as possible. So, um, no, I, I agree. I think that's a big point, and I've seen this as well as a coach, right, and as a coach at at a number of different levels. Um, just that that general intensity that somebody has during a match compared to what they bring out during practice. And I've, I've been there myself too, as a junior player, as a college player, as, as an adult, you know, I, I've been there and I, I can say that I, I don't necessarily feel it. My effort level or intensity has always matched that, that of, you know, during a match. So I think, you know, as a coach, there are a couple big areas that I would look at footwork being a big one. Um, I think uh, a lot of players, myself included at times, um, tend to maybe not move their feet in the same kind of way um, in practice compared to a match. I think decision-making can look very different um, as well. And which is, you know, I think there's different, different mental skills related to decision-making, you know, such as focus, such as, um, being, being, you know, in more of a present state of mind. Um, but I think decision-making can look very different. Um, and then just general effort levels, the ability to, you know, really try to get to a ball rather than letting it bounce twice. If, if two players are just hitting it, hitting around, um, you know, really run for a drop shot, but, you know, chase down that one extra ball that it looks like you probably won't get to, but maybe there's a chance. And rather than just letting it go, you know, trying to get a racket on it, trying to get one more shot in play. So I'm glad, I'm glad you're bringing up that point of the difference in, you know, effort level, intensity, general focus, because I think that's, that's something that I would, I would say most tennis players have probably experienced that, that drastic difference between matches and practice in terms of that. Yeah. And I think, um, if we can close the gap between those two, um, maybe the gap for certain players is pretty big in terms of the focus level, the effort, the hustle in in practice versus in the match. Like your example of letting a ball bounce twice uh, is perfect because you would never do that. Hopefully, in a match, <laughs> you would you would chase it down. Yet. You're, you know, missing the opportunity to actually practice that skill of hustle in practice. You probably now, when you practice hustle in practice, you almost like bring more capacity to that skill in matches. It's, you know, possible that you've never really tested yourself in a match. You never really pushed your physical capacity there. But now by really pushing yourself in practice, you'll actually be able to be better at it 
in competition. And so I think one of the reasons that people tend to try harder in matches is that they feel like there's more to play for, right? We're playing to win. This counts. Uh, there's more on the line. And therefore, our competitive juices get going. The effort level goes. We want to win. You know, how we channel that maybe into all the different competitive and technical and tactical skills is, is different for each of us. But that stuff, you know, you start getting really motivated, amped up to win. And when you look at practice, perhaps you don't see as much on the line. Perhaps you don't see as much to play for. And I think, you know, part of our job today, Josh, is can we change that thought process a little bit so that we can close the gap between what's on the line in practice and what's on the line on the competition court? And maybe even putting it all together and saying, the competition court is really just another part of your overall training as a player. And, you know, practicing and practice matches are actually preparation for you to go out and test yourself on that, on that competition court. So that's, that's one angle I'd like to take at with this. And I think it kind of syncs up with your, uh, you know, where you wanted to go with this originally as well. Totally, totally, and and, and this and, and what, what you're saying there relates, I think, a lot to this idea that we discussed with Christina Rollo and Dave DeHaan of everything is practice, and I would, you know, uh, both of them have you know spent time working with uh, professional players, both in a coaching and in a sports psychology uh, setting, um, and yeah, really this idea of everything being practice, right? Eat, you know, let's not make matches into something bigger than they actually are and you know understand that each match each opportunity you're out there on the court is really practice for the next time you're out there in, in the future um and yeah i i think we want to try to find ways to bridge that gap both in terms of making our practice more match like and and you know trying to simulate some of those conditions of matches whether it's adding some level of consequence. And this is actually something that um, my my master's degree dissertation, I interviewed uh, several collegiate coaches about mental toughness in tennis. And this was one of the, the conclusions that, you know, in order to increase this, we want to make matches feel as much like, like, sorry, we want to make practice feel as much like matches as possible. And we want to try to simulate those match conditions during practice. We want to find ways to add consequences, whether it's things like dice breakers, where we roll dice and we play from different uh, scores within a within a tiebreaker. Maybe one person rolls a five, one person rolls a two, and we play from that score. Or we start off different games. Uh, you know, somebody starts off love 30, or we start games at deuce. Um, or we, you know, we, we manipulate the score in that way, or we find other ways to add pressure. And, and we, we, uh, you know, we've discussed this concept of pressure training in the past. Um, so can we, you know, through consequences, through adding pressure, through, um, other tactics, try to make our practice feel more like matches. Um, but at the same time, what are the, what are some of those qualities about practice 
and and some of those differences that allow players to play more loosely and freely. And we just did an episode about relaxation. And I think most players will say that they're certainly more relaxed in practice compared to matches. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to play better because I think, you know, you want to find where, how much intensity is right for you. And is it, is it, you know, all the way over to the intense side? Is it all the way over to the relaxed side? For most people, it's, it's somewhere in between. Um, but can we take some of that relaxation that we, that we have in practice and bring that to matches? Can we take, you know, some of that, you know, the, the fact that we're less focused on our results and less afraid to miss during practice and take that to our matches? Can we take some of these qualities that allow us to feel free, feel relaxed, allow us to play well in many cases during our practice and bring those to matches. So just like we want to increase some of the intensity at practice and make it more match-like, can we take some of those better qualities of practice and bring those to matches and really try to embody that philosophy of everything is practice and rather than, okay, I'm playing this match, you know, on Friday night or on Saturday afternoon and everything comes, you know, this is so important and I can't lose um, can we start to have the philosophy and the attitude that, you know, this is a, this is a milestone. This is a, a quiz or a test in my competitive journey, but not, it's not like everything falls on, you know, everything comes down to this. Um, this is just another piece of my training, just like you said, right? This is matches are a piece of my training, just like practices are. It's another chance for me to get better and get a little bit closer to that player that I'm, that I'm trying to become. I think the to me the beauty of the everything is practice philosophy is that it can really reduce the pressure that you feel when you are playing matches. Um, you know, and this touches on a lot of past discussions and episodes that we've had. But when you look at everything as practice, you're valuing the player that you're becoming. You're valuing your development as a player. And you can begin to look at these competitive matches simply as experiences that I need to have in order to help me build and grow and learn. And that's all that's really at stake. And it's true for practice as well. What's really at stake is your potential, is your ability to become that great player. And by maybe getting a little bit too hyped up about competition and not playing the way you really want to because you're afraid or you're avoiding things, your ability to become that great player is lessened, right? And so um, when you begin to kind of enclose competitive matches into your overall training and development plan, then you can start to see things this way. You can start to realize that this is not an existential threat. My career is not on the on the line or I'm, you know, I'm not trying to prove who I am today. Like I have to prove to everybody I'm a good player right now. This is about let me go out and experience this match, see what I can learn, and based on that, we'll make changes for the next one. And then so on and so forth. Until you reach a point where um, and I don't know that actually you never reach this point, right? When we were pursuing mastery. It never stops, right? It's it's sort of this ladder that goes into the sky and there's no end. And I, I recently read something that um, we have all heard of Malcolm Gladwell's simplification of Anders Ericsson's work into the 10,000-hour rule. And 
But couldn't we say, Josh, that there is no hour rule, right? It's the it's the infinite hour rule. You just always got to keep working. I mean, there's no – I don't think there's really a magical point in which you feel like, oh, I've mastered tennis. There's nothing else for me to learn. There's nothing else for me to improve. I put in my 10,000 hours and boom, it's like, you know, some sort of – you know, big celebration happened, fireworks, whatever. It doesn't happen. And so what if we looked at it like that? That this is just constantly improving and improving. And instead of looking at matches as something bigger and some sort of validation of who you are in the moment, just use it as a means of learning and getting better. And I think that that's, you know, if we think about some things we've had before, discussions we've had before, it's been about like the most important version of you is the person you're becoming. We've talked about um, conceptualizing tennis as a life project. So thinking of this as your tennis project. And to me, I think that's a, is a good way to look at this topic as well, Josh, because now we can start giving things like competition and practice and pressure training their proper roles in your overall development. Right, the vision and the mission of the of the proud of the project should be for you to become the best player you can be. If mastery is your thing, if that's your motivation, if playing tennis is more of a social activity, the nature of your project will be different. But if it is more about mastery and trying to become that best player, now you can start to really give things their proper role in how they help you to become to become that great player. So I think we've talked a lot of you know, philosophical points over the last year or so uh, that can really help people shape this and, and feel like competition is not something so foreign as it is to, to practice. You can really make these things much closer to each other than maybe you view them today. Totally, totally. I actually wanted to, um, I, I think that this idea connects a lot to um, to James Clear. We've, we've talked about the book Atomic Habits, and he talks about how um, we want to sort of start with our identity and start with a, a broader goal. So he gives the example of somebody that's, you know, he or he compares um, one person who's training for a marathon, right, or training for a big race. And that is, I guess, no no pun intended, but but the finish line, right? The, the, the finish line is what the, 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 they're training for that race, and that that race is sort of the the end all be all. Everything comes down to this race. That is why they're training. And the other person is trying to become a runner, or or striving to be a runner, and try, and identifies as a runner. And one and you know if 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 the end all be all, if if what we're training for, if the final goal is that race, then what inspires you to keep going what motivates you to keep going after that where if the if your motivation and your goal is to become a runner yes there might be a 5k in there there might be a marathon a half marathon there might be other sorts of races other sorts of training and but after each thing you know after each event you still have that goal of trying to become the best runner that you can be. And I think the same thing is true in tennis, right? It's, you know, it, it's never, it's never over. You can become that top hundred player if that's what your goal is or number one in the world, or, you know, make it onto a college team or go from a three, five to a 4.0 or whatever that 
goal is of yours, but there's still more, there's still always more to be achieved. There's still, you know, there's, there's still, um, it doesn't need to be a finish line. It doesn't need to be a finish line where if your goal is to become the best player that you can be, then that, you know, that, that can keep, that, that, that keeps going. Right. I mean, there's, as we know, tennis is a lifetime sport. You know, there's people playing of really all ages, um, as long as, you know, your body will allow and, um, it doesn't need to be a finish line. And I think so often players view matches in particular tournaments and particular events, um, with such urgency, I guess, like everything needs to come down to this, or I want to improve my UTR and I need to do it this weekend or that sort of thing. And I think if we can take a step back and sort of zoom out a little bit, take a longer term approach, we can start to see that, um, that's not actually the case. This is one milestone along your journey. If that if that journey is to be the best player that you can be, if that journey is I want to be this UTR by the end of the year, or I want to qualify for this tournament, then again that that's going to add a lot of pressure to you, right? But if 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 it's more about being the best player that you can be, that really is a lifelong journey. And I think when we play tournaments, Josh. Perhaps the criteria for a successful event needs to change from just winning to more controllable objectives. And we we often talk about focusing on the process, focusing on the controllables. We discuss that because when you do that well, it gives you a better chance of creating the kinds of performances and results that you want. And so, therefore, our focus really should be on those things, on the process and on the controllables, because that's, those are the key ingredients. And whatever those are, they'll be you know, slightly different for, for everybody. There might be some common ones with respect to effort and attitude. Those might have to be high. But you know, maybe somebody's intensity is, is, is more important than uh, you know, something else in the big list of things that you can control. And so if we look at this as the long-term piece, when we look at a tournament, can it be, all right, I'm going to go into this tournament with a real focus on my routines, my breathing, and some discipline around my shot selection. I have a particular set of patterns that I want to play in this event. And then win or lose, all right, how did I do on those things? Then you can feel like maybe there's some more satisfaction, like I actually achieved something. Because you could also go out, not focus on those three things and win, but then your game may di- maybe didn't develop, right? Think of like, this is very often uh, the case in, in some 12 and under tournaments or 10 and under tournaments that you're always going to have one or two kids who are just going to hit kind of sky moon balls. And now that could be a great tactic, but if that's like your A game, <laughs> you know, there's only so far one can go with that before that game won't work anymore. So do you want to be the greatest 10-year-old in the world? Or would you prefer to be you know, the best 25-year-old that you can be? And so that's an extreme example there, right? But that's an example of someone who valued winning this, this match today over the potential gain they could make 
toward becoming their best to self-actualizing, to use a more academic term. So I think um, really setting goals and objectives before your tournaments or before your matches is very, very important. Because if you leave it to things that are not fully within your control, you will end up not feeling great at some point because you will lose. You will play poorly at times. These things are not fully within your control. Uh, and so I think a big shift here is, is to evaluate and set really good objectives beforehand with things you can control. And if you reach those, what more can we ask of you? Now, if you don't reach those, you should similarly be disappointed because they were controllable. So if you played with a poor attitude, okay, you should be disappointed with the fact that you played with a poor attitude or your effort was less than it should have been or and so forth. Um, but that then gives you something to really dig into now and make adjustments. When we start looking at level of play and performance, yes, you can dig into those, but you know what it's going to come down to? It's going to come down to something you can control that you probably just didn't do well. Um, and so we're really kind of shortcutting that process and just going straight to the things that we can control that we believe will give us the best chance of playing. So, you know, I think we're, we're on the same page here. So we're really trying to just fold whole, this whole competition thing into the overall training program rather than having it live outside the training program. Like, oh, we train, we train, and train. Now it's time to go play a term. It's just a separate thing. We do it, and then we come back and we train and train. No, it's inside. It's all part of the same project, right? And, and the goal isn't just winning. The goal is becoming the best we can be. Totally. And not just, you know, the, the best that we can be is not uh, just the, the best practice player that we can be. Or it's not just somebody that is able to turn it on during matches, but during practice, they're at 70%. It's the best player that we can be overall and, and recognizing that, you know, each of those each of those pieces is, is really important. Um, and I think this idea of controlling the controllables and, um, you know, it's generally when I work with someone, it's the first thing that I, uh, after sort of the, you know, introduction, starting to get to know them a little bit, it's generally the first thing that I talk to them about, because I think it, it provides a nice foundation for, you know, what are things that we can focus on? What are things that we can actually impact? Right. And, but also what are things that we can't? And these things like our opponent's line calls or the weather or the courts or the fans or, you know, the, our opponent's, you know, our opponent's, how how well they're playing that day. All these different things um, can be annoying, can be frustrating. They can get on our nerves. They can impact our performance. But we need to be able to get to a point of acceptance with that and really try to focus on these things that can really make a difference. And I think our intensity, our dedication during practice is one of those big ones. Um, and yeah, I, I think you know one of the big ways that we can you know, really try to focus on these controllable things is to try to set an intention. So maybe it's a setting a specific intention. Maybe it's process goals that we set up for ourselves going into a practice, going into a match. And we're really trying to, you know, focus on those when we're out there. And at the end of the day, can we say honestly how we've done with those? Can we rate how 
that's gone. Can, you know, rather than just saying, okay, I'm just trying to play well out there. Can we be more specific and say, okay, I'm trying to, you know, really trying to focus on my footwork today, or I'm really trying to, I played this opponent last time and their backhand was, was really a huge liability. One of my process goals today is to really try to make them, you know, make them try to hit two thirds or, or three quarters of their shots on that backhand side, you know, force them to beat you with their weaker shot. Um, you know, maybe it's about how you spend time in between points. Maybe it's about your preparation leading up to a match, whatever it is. Can we really be clear and intentional about our matches and our practices and go in with that, those clear intentions so that at the end of the day, if we've achieved those, if we've achieved those process goals, if we've, you know, have done what we intended to do and ultimately the match didn't go our way, then so be it. That's going to happen sometimes. Some days we're going to play better than others, but if you did, you know, if, if you succeeded at those areas that you're really trying to focus on, then that's a win. Right. And I think that goes back to actually to a point that you were making earlier, Brian, like, can we shift the way that we look at competition where it's not all just about, getting, you know, finding a way to, to get the win. And I think there, there is a benefit to finding a way and to, you know, competing and, and those competition skills, but can it also be about, and maybe even more at times about achieving what we're trying to achieve out there, getting a little bit better, playing in a way that, you know, you know, if, if that 12 year old is listening or that parent of a 12 year old is listening, you know, you know, that that moonballing is not going to, make you know turn that player into a great 16 and under player an 18 and under player in high school college level player um you know maybe that that player that's that has traditionally moonballed and won matches like that can step outside of their comfort zone and maybe maybe there's some growing pains and they lose some matches because they're stepping outside of it and maybe hitting with you know with more topspin rather than just kind of lobbing um and you know, maybe there are some growing pains and they lose some matches in, in the meantime, but they're really embracing that that new playing style and that leads to greater results over time, which is a, which is a win. So if maybe that intention going into the match is that new sort of playing style. One of the things that I see with players is that they don't do in practice what they do in matches. So I'll give an example. So each week I work with a local Division One college women's team. And one of my observations of, of the majority of the players is that their behavior on the court in practice is, is worse than it is in matches. They're much more negative. Whenever they make a mistake, they get on themselves. Uh, so there's a lot more out loud, negative self-talk. And, but they don't typically do this in matches. Some do, but for the most part, it takes a lot longer in a match for that behavior to come out than it does in practice. In practice, it's comes out, you know, the first five minutes, they miss a shot. Oh, you know, then there's some sort of statement around that. So yeah, I've been getting a little bit, um, not tired of that, but I'm just like curious about it. So I was like, all right, I want to run a little experiment here. I'm going to tell all of you how to react after every single point. So we'll call it positive response training. And so every one of you when a point is over, you're going to put your racket in your left hand. You're going to hold it by the throat and you're going to look at the strings and you're going to walk to the back curtain. And so they did it and the behavior was, was much better. And in fact, uh, the level of play 
for most of them was much better. And so we talked about it afterwards uh, about their observations and their experience with it. And for most of them, they said it was easy to do because I had given them something very, a very specific task to, to work on. So they didn't necessarily go to judging themselves or, or whatever. Um, another player said, well, I know that you're watching us do this, so I, like, I better do it. Um, and they all recognize that to a certain extent, they kind of do this in matches, but they're not doing it in practice. And I'm like, well, why? Why aren't you doing it here? Why aren't you practicing the way you're going to compete? Why are we on some courts goofing around and other courts were taking it seriously? And I kind of left those questions, you know, more to kind of hang out there and let them think about it. You know, I don't want to give them all of the answers. I want them to sort of explore that. But that's an example of bringing something that we know we need to do in matches, bring it specifically to practice because it needs to be better there. And these are just like the little things that everybody can inject into their own practices to, to take it to the point of, I practice the things I want to use in matches when I compete. I practice like I compete. That could be as simple as using your between point routine in a practice match. So many people will tell me, well, it was just a practice match. Just a practice match. That's <laughs> you gotta. How can you be good at this when you're competing in a tournament if you never practice it, right? So, the importance of practice, I think, Josh needs to be brought up several levels. It's not just about hitting balls and maybe working on some technical things. It's understanding that I am preparing for battle. You know, and of course, the competition court is like we just said; it is part of your overall training plan. But it's 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 a different place. Different things are going on there, and you need to be ready for that. And you so you need to bring those elements into practice. You need to practice your routine. You need to practice your breathing, your body language, and all these little skills we talk about. That's not just for tournaments. It has to be on the practice court, and it can be hard because not everybody's going to be doing it. You might be the only one in your practice, taking it seriously. But perhaps you can be the model. Perhaps what you do can be contagious with that. And so even coaches who are listening, you know, can we work more of that into, into the, your practices so that players are, are not seeing practice as something lesser than what competition is? Because I think it's, to me, there's a lot on the line in practice. Right. To think that there's more on the line in matches than in practice, I don't think that that's necessarily true or it doesn't have to be. You can, you can close that gap and realize that your potential is online every day. Every day you go to practice or, or play a match is an opportunity to, to make progress in terms of the player that you're, you're becoming. Um, you mentioned the whole thing with your college coaches in your, in your dissertation. That's what they're doing by bringing pressure and consequences into practice, right? They're trying to make the environment more similar. And if you're truly competitive, then you should want to bring more competition into your practice environment. Um, I think there can oftentimes be, you know, when you do this with clinics or teams, some players may try to game the system and just win the drill 
of course, you want to make sure you're working on the objective of the drill and not just winning the game. Uh, so that's just something to keep in mind. But this then can give you much more purpose to your practice. You know, Anders Ericsson, who, whose research really was the backbone of the whole 10,000-hour rule, talked about what elite performers in any context do better than others. And he called it deliberate practice, you know, maybe a little bit lesser than deliberate practice would be purposeful practice, but it's going into practice with your own objectives. Um, I was talking to a player last night who he had, he's on a high school team and he has to practice with several players who are not his level. And he's worried about getting worse. And so we talked about, well, it doesn't matter who, you, who you're playing with. You can bring objectives to that. You could be perfect with your footwork. You could work on your slice shots. It's all up to you about how you, what you want to get out of that time on the court. Um, and so, you know, he liked that idea because he, he's going to have to do, he has to go to these practices for his high school team and he doesn't want to get worse. So bringing specific objectives to these things is, is, is helpful and it's going to help him be better in his, in his, in his tournament matches. So I think, it's all about you bringing objectives and purpose and being deliberate about how you practice. And then lastly, Josh, I would say, let's be sure that we don't judge a practice as good or bad. I hear that all the time. Oh, I had a, I had a bad practice today. What's that based on? <laughs> it's based on probably something out of your control. Oh, you didn't play well. Okay, well, why didn't you play well? Probably didn't have objectives going into it. And I feel like this was me as a junior player, Josh, because I'm just like these college players that I've talked about. Behavior and practice way worse than behavior and matches. And it wasn't because my emotional maturity was problematic. It may have been, but I don't think that was the root. It was more that I didn't have specific points of focus in practice. I just went and just did what they said. And... You know, practice is in some ways meant to be frustrating. They're putting you into situations where you're going to make mistakes. But in a match, I was very focused because I knew the objective. All right, the objective is to win two sets here. Didn't have such an objective with practice. Therefore, my focus was too broad and not specific enough. And therefore, my behavior was poor. When I changed that, my complete temperament on the court changed. And now whenever I go play, it's not that I don't get frustrated at times. That will happen, but not to the extent that it used to be. And so this idea of purposeful, deliberate practice with goals, objectives, intentions is so important if you want to do better in competition. Totally. Totally. I think, uh, yeah, I, I think you're, you're bringing up a, a really good point there that um, through that, you know, deliberate or purposeful um, practice, we give ourselves the chance to, to really go in with a specific goal. As, as you mentioned, you know, in matches, it's very clear what that goal is. We want to find a way to win. Now, I think, I think sometimes players do that in a way that's ultimately destructive for their future, right? We talked about, you know, going back to that example of that 10 or 12 year old who's, moonballing and and thinks that that's their their path towards success in this sport because it's working for them right now um if if that's their only goal and that's their only objective to to win those two sets or whatever the format is that they're playing then 
they they don't they won't go beyond that right and so i think you know can the objective also in matches be something greater than just than just winning right i want to play in a certain way maybe we're changing a grip you know i we see this a lot player will change a grip on their forehand or even on a serve trying to come over to the continental grip um or whatever it is and once the going gets tough in a match, sometimes we see players start to shift back to a grip that's maybe more comfortable to them. And they'll move away from what they're trying to, you know, the, the, that new grip that they're trying to utilize and, you know, go back to that, that grip that, they're, that they've used in the past that they're comfortable with, that they're, you know, that them and their coach are trying to move away from. Um, so I think, you know, having the the goal of, you know, yes, this is my objective is to win the match and to be a problem solver and to be a little bit better than my opponent, but I want to do it in a way where I'm not jeopardizing my future, where I'm actually setting myself up for future success here. But, um, you know, and, and I think practice, you know, really clearly laying out what those objectives are. Um, and, you know, writing, I think that can be done verbally, but I think writing that down is, is better because then it's more clear. And then we can take a look at that afterwards, see how we did, rate how we did, and, and then you can look back at it. That's, I think, a big piece of, um, you know, journaling that that's maybe not always thought about, right? If we can start to write down, you know, and start to journal about our practice, about our matches, um, it's helpful in the moment, certainly, to be able to get those ideas out there. But it's also helpful in a month or in three months, six months, in a year, right? You look back at, okay, four months ago, this is something that I was I was working on that grip change. And now look at, you know, look at where that forehand is. Right now I'm really able to use it as a weapon. Or I was struggling with how I manage my emotions in between points or during changeovers. And now look at that progress. So I think it um having those clear objectives, keeping track of those and how you're doing with those on a daily basis, um, also make it a lot easier because then in order to track our progress, and it can also be a great source of of confidence. We can see that progress that we're making. Hopefully we're moving in the right direction. We can see that, start to keep track of that. And then that can be a resource that we can look back at maybe the night before a match, you know, that even build that into our pre-match routine as a way to, um, yeah, we sort of remind ourselves of how far we've come and of, you know, of compare ourselves now to where we were in the past. Yeah. So I think overall, I don't know, I feel like if I were to sum this up, Josh, it's about reducing the pressure of competition so they can feel like practice. But on the other hand, increasing the intensity and maybe the pressure in practice. So that they become much more like one in the same. In in some ways, we put too much pressure on competition and not enough in practice. Can we, you know, lower it in one and raise it in the other so that we're really kind of in the same sphere, and uh, that these things kind of work together seamlessly, all in the service of helping us become the best player that that we can become. And, uh, you know, I think we've provided, you know, a few ideas here. Certainly would love to hear from people about other things uh, that they could work on in practice as, as well as how to reduce reduce pressure and competition. But I'm just curious if – do you think that summation is correct? I do. I do because I think we we talked a lot about, about both sides of that, how to make practice feel more like a match and how to take some of those qualities from practice – 
and bring them to matches uh, because I think the the overall goal here, well, one of the overall goals here is that when it's time to play a match, it it doesn't feel so different, right? It doesn't feel like okay, I've I practice, 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 and then all of a sudden it's a match. Uh oh, this is going to be really tough. This is going to be you know have so much more pressure. This is going to you know now I have to really think about the consequences if if our practice starts to mirror that, then it doesn't feel so different. And on the other side of things, you know, if, if we start to go into practice with more specific, deliberate intentions and objectives, then we can start to get a lot more out of it. We're not just going through the motions. We're not just fooling around, hanging out with our friends. We're able to really get as much out of it as possible and setting ourselves up to perform better in those practices and in those matches. So absolutely. Yeah, 100%. So, um, well, that was a great discussion. Thanks for bringing that topic to the table, Josh. Um, and thank you, everybody, for listening. For more on today's episode, you can check out the show notes. If you have any feedback or questions for me and Josh, please email us at tennisiqpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use the Twitter hashtag tennisiq. Additionally, please subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice, including YouTube, so you can be notified of new episodes. You can also check us out on Instagram. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash tennisiq slash membership. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon in our next episode.